0: Can I have egg? Yeah, yeah. I'll have egg, please. You can have
1: egg, but Andy this week
0: wants to do it on uh, sando- bagels. Sour, sourdough bagels. Sourdough? No, 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 the
1: sourdough is not the issue. It's the hole in the bagel that apparently Nicky's saying. If you had egg and bacon, the hole is going to cause a world of problems, and we shouldn't be having it on bagels. I can make a hammock with the A hammock. Oh, a hammock. Pot- yes. A ham hammock.
0: I'm <laughs> definitely on board with a bacon <laughs> hammock. <laughs>
2: So the top hole's the problem. The bottom hole, not so much. The top hole isn't the problem. If you if you cover the
1: bottom hole, it's not going to fall down onto your lap. So if you bite it, it might splurge upwards. Yeah. But if you're if you're if you don't go like a crocodile would and, and are tender with your biting, you should be fine. There's
0: an awful lot of nonsense coming out of your top hole right about <laughs> you, now.
2: My making perfect sense to me. If, is a bacon mm. hammock a hammock made of bacon? So you would sleep. In well, bacon, it have to
1: be a sizable amount of bacon to, for me to sleep in it. Well, I would imagine that that's it's a, why I was it's a cradle. It's a bacon cradle for the poached egg. The cradle's better than for, for the yolk of the egg. For the for the egg, if it's poached, poached it, will it will be, will be the whole egg. To, the whole egg will be there.
0: There is no better way to wake up than to the smell of bacon. So imagine if you have been snoozing in a bacon <laughs> hammock. Yeah, I mean, Nikki's, how ideal would that be?
1: Nicky's kind of bread toast pitters work, but when I said. Can we have it on bagel? She looked at me as if I was mad. But to me, I, is it is it that crazy?
0: This surely well, is an expression you're you're getting used to, Chinch. People looking at you as though you're a little bit crazy. Quizzically,
2: yes. I, I have had egg in a bagel before, Good. and yes. it's worked perfectly. Have you had egg in there as well? Egg in a bagel before? That's yes. That's inherently there. Yes, the egg is. Oh, sorry, I thought you said bacon. Have you no. had bacon and egg? Yes, but ba- bacon, egg, well, sausage probably because. The, the way that they do it in New York is to... Ah,
1: they do this in New York, do they? Don't right, they, carry
2: they, on. And, and people will be able to tell us because <laughs> they've had more than, like, one in yes, their life. Yes, yes. Um, but you 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 don't scramble the egg, but you burst the yolk mm. just in the last minute of it frying so Ugh. that it's still... This is poached eggs, and it'll go everywhere. Well, no, I'm fine with that because I love the juice. Stephen, however, has juice problems. But you're, you're happy with a poached egg, aren't you? It
0: always turns... Towards me and my food preferences. It, it, at some it, point,
2: Steven's food needs to be as dry as the bacon hammock would be if it had been in the sun for several weeks. Can I ask a question? <laughs> Is there sliced avocado on this as well? No, he doesn't like it. I like avocado. Which, Rory doesn't even like avocado. He's not here, so that makes three out of four who prefer oh. not to have avocado. Oh! Stop
0: pretending you're some sort of millennial. Change. Get your avocado fix another time. Okay. <laughs> This is
2: Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, favourite cocktail? Bloody hell, Mary, you don't go to VAR. And Andy Hinchcliffe, favourite cocktail? Sex on the beach with Jack Reacher. Yes! Uh, Talking of which, the um, cocktail glasses that provide our opening, just our opening to what is going to be a most sumptuous, as you've already heard, Hmm. uh, breakfast at the Hinchcliffe household. Um, Chinch, perhaps you could uh, firstly describe what, is contained within these cocktail glasses, and then perhaps give a percentage as to how much you've actually contributed to them. Uh,
1: this, is, this is a breakfast starter. I don't know whether around the world that is a thing, but in Cheshire <laughs> we have starters before we have our bagels with egg and bacon. I'm gonna give myself away here. I know there's granola in it because I spec- can see the yeah, granola the top. topping. Yeah. There's, there's some kind of yoghurt in there and there looks to be some kind of fresh fruit. It has an, a layered effect within the cocktail glass it's very impressive i didn't know it was going to happen so i'm as impressed as you are i went to the local supermarket to buy the bacon that is as much as i have done this morning we should
2: say there is no bacon in this fruit yogurt granola bacon bits no, there won't Ooh, be much nice, about the only it? way it could
0: be improved. You are
2: cordially invited to join us at our live show at the Manchester Podcast Festival. The 100th episode spectacular is almost around the corner. If the corner is a 3 week corner and we are furiously working to make it a tremendous experience for those who both attend and those who will be in absentia, but they will still get to hear some of it. I say some of it because there will be some content exclusive to the audience in the room, mainly for legal reasons. For example, we'll be playing <laughs> SPM Bingo on the night. Ooh. We have a new board courtesy of Mark Cole, uh, who is an SPM Buffalo. I think um, either our original or nearly original Buffalo uh, was Mark Cole because he provided the original Bingo board. Is yes. it called a board, is that right? is it a, a, a bingo sheet I've never, ask, been, ask, ever, ask, you, you, ask the
0: man who's over 50 I don't know
2: <laughs> hang on a minute have you ever been to bingo I've never done bingo I have absolutely been to bingo
1: what, what you, is, well you'll know then what's it called the I don't pa- know what it's called what, what is it
2: it's sheet with paper on the, do, the, the dabbers, paper with numbers they? on
1: are they dobbers do, do they or, it, or dabbers? dabbers dabbers is it electronic now as well bingo or is it, is it still pen and paper job
2: well the dobbers are the pen yeah, and exactly, the paper they, is do they the still do
1: it I these days know. that way I so don't
2: given, the, given that that might be some of the conversation that we have on the evening why would you not now immediately go to manchesterpodcastfestival.com uh, to buy your £10 ticket why why would you not uh, you can also get in touch uh, via setpiecemenu at gmail.com at setpiecemenu is where we are on Twitter you can join us on our Facebook page now you will notice that Rory is not here for reasons that you understand and on behalf of Rory we wanted to say thank you to all those who have been getting in touch via any one of those methods just mentioned, to send in what have been some very moving and very kind messages. Rory, uh, we can tell you, has been able to see them all. And although a lot of them uh, we thought not right to share with the wider audience, um, some of them were very personal. And for those reasons, we are again very grateful that you felt like you could share that with us and with Rory. Uh, We did want to convey something of what you've been saying at the very least, perhaps only to make you all feel like that you are indeed part of a little community that's populated with some very fine people. So, uh, Rhys Hayward, thank you. He says this. Hi guys, just wanted to say how wonderfully touching I found the start of the latest episode. I tragically lost my best friend this summer at the same age as Rory's brother and befitting of such a fine writer, he eloquently surmised many of my own feelings at a time of grief. Despite being an eternal optimist, I too find it profoundly unsettling when people are nice to me and the outpouring of support since has led me uh, to close myself off when I should have allowed others in. The beauty of your podcast is that despite never having met any of you for an hour a week, I feel like I am among a true group of friends and that is why it was so genuinely engaging for me and no doubt countless others for Rory to bring his story to this week's episode. Keep up the good work, says Rhys, who also says as a PS to Rory, we exchange brief tweets about the ridiculousness of the British support for Roger Federer earlier in the summer. It is un-British, he says, in a particularly declamatory style.
1: In capital letters, was it? Yes, indeed. capital letters, that's how serious he is.
2: Uh, Rory Burgess writes this to Dear Rory Smith's podcast, and the subject title of the email was A Message for Rory, amongst others. (laughs) First off to Rory, he says, My condolences, thoughts and prayers for your brother, uh, go out to your family. I lost a cousin of a similar age to a brain tumour. That, too, claims her life within days of discovery, and it is a particularly cruel, swift tragedy. Your efforts in his memory are commendable, and I hope they come to uh, offer some comfort to you. I'm going to donate what I can to the cause once I finish writing this email. To Chinch, you. and Stephen, says Rory, glad to hear such unwavering support for your friend and colleague at this time. And do keep up the good work in Rory's absence, as I'm sure he'll be glad to come back to a fully functioning SPM in due time. Sincerely, Rory Burgess, Tottenham, Ontario, Canada fully functioning with Chinch at the tiller I think not uh, Chris that's me by the way and yeah, uh, not a, Rory who was actually very nice that's a, that's a bar raised that I'm not sure we're that's going to clear it any soon sailing round in <laughs> circles Chris Lomax <laughs> says this to Rory I'm so incredibly sorry to hear about your brother I'm struggling to think of the words to convey my thoughts and emotions but please know that I'm thinking of you all sometimes football is a side story sometimes football brings us back together the warmest of regards that's Chris Lomax uh, who's in Bolton and he signs off by saying he is a proud member of of the SPM family, which is rather nice. Uh, James Edwards says this, Gents, I'm sure you will have an avalanche of emails to get through after the most recent SPM, but just to add my sincere condolences to Rory at this time, I didn't think I could have more admiration for the man than I did, but how he discussed what happened and described his feelings was very powerful. It especially resonated with me because of how close myself and my own brother are, and how painful it would be if that was taken away. I can only say how much I wish to pass on my best wishes to Rory and to keep going. It doesn't heal, but it becomes more manageable. We are also a big family as SPMers, says James, I feel, and we all Love you. Best wishes, Rory and all the guys uh, from James. And just a couple more. Henry Hoar says, Hi all. Just a quick note to say how deeply sorry I am to hear Rory's awful news. Thoughts with him, his family and friends. This week's pod was incredibly moving and yet another example of all that is wonderful about SPM. Thank you for all that you do. And finally, SPM Buffalo Jonathan Wood brings us to a close. Hi, I don't really use Twitter so I thought I would email instead. Rory's words really resonated with me on the pod this week. I'm sure this is an incredibly difficult time for Rory and his family and my words won't really help with that however I felt I had to offer my condolences and I hope that the positive move of asking for donations for the Woodland Trust can help Rory and his family uh, receive some small relief in what I can only imagine is a terrible time take your time coming back Rory I'm sure all of the SPM listeners can't wait to hear you rant about the offside law and VAR once more <laughs> sincerely from John uh, that is by the way to finish uh, the other thing that we wanted to say thank you for um, you went in your droves to justgiving.com forward slash robert aj smith um i think steve you, you noted that before we put the podcast out it was yeah i think it was three just, figures it was just
0: under it was just under a thousand pounds had been raised before we mentioned the the just Giving page on the podcast and i think at time of recording it's up somewhere in the region of five and a half thousand pounds so thank you very much Uh, That is almost double the
2: initial target that the Smith family had. So to all of you who have given so, so generously uh, and also signing off as well with a little kind of nod to SPM as the reason why you're doing it. uh, Thank you so much. I think it will be uh, very much appreciated by all.
0: It's really nice how many people have identified themselves as Mm -hmm. listeners to the podcast in making their donations, because that's that's really been something that's enhanced how special it has been for us to see the outpouring of emotion and support that there's been for Rory in particular. So, yeah, thank you. And, and please, I'm going to come all over sort of Terry Wogan very briefly. We can still do more. <laughs> please don't stop. Yeah, yeah. Please don't stop donating. If you feel you can contribute just a little bit, then every little
1: helps. Yeah, the response has been extraordinary. Those emails you've just read out, there's plenty more of those as well. And just scrolling through the Just Giving page, not, not just the donations and from all around the world that they came but also the little lines that went along with them it was it was it was incredible in the way people respond I'm not surprised actually because Rory again we know him well people listening to him will understand how intelligent and funny he is and it's just great that people do see the people that we are as well that's that's what spm is all about isn't it yes it's about football it's about us as people the people that that, that listen to us and get involved so it is very much a family and i'm not surprised by the response but it is really really appreciated
2: and so any more emails to menu at gmail.com and that just giving site once again is just forward slash robert aj smith thank you all of you. Uh, now our conversation this week is very much inspired by the fact that two of our party at uh, work, at least on occasion, for the BBC. After SBM 149 focused on why footballers do stupid things, consider this pod, episode 150 no less, balance when it may or may not be needed. Just ask Clive Tilsley about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go on Twitter, you'll find it and you'll understand. So the positive side to this same coin, with a coin being a football player, is this... How do players do such amazing things? Yes, they might find themselves in a hotel room with any number of familiar or unfamiliar people, having made several injudicious decisions to get them there. (laughs) They might have worn a vest top under a suit to their 30th birthday party while also sporting a diamond ring. Was it the 30th birthday party of Andrew Hinchcliffe or Andrew Ridgely? You decide that much. But then remarkably, in the days following either situation, Um. they can show an outrageous piece of skill, score a brilliant goal, or maybe, in Andrew Ridgely's case, perhaps swing in a devilish corner. (laughs) Sometimes, in spite of all this, often because of all this, footballers find a way to deliver the most incredible performances regularly. How do they do it? Is it practice? talent or if you were friend of the pod mickey thomas perhaps it was two bottles of wine the night before so after questioning a footballer's ability to keep it on the straight and narrow last week today we ask how the straight passes through narrow channels keep finding their targets on match day how do players do such amazing things
1: well what we have to appreciate is this ultimately is is why these people are in the football business because they are incredibly, incredibly talented. But I still feel as, as time goes by for, for the modern player, they do have to develop physically and mentally to to do brilliant things on and off the pitch. And we've talked about what they do maybe off the pitch and the, the daft things that they do and how they can maybe learn from them and make sure that doesn't happen again, which will hopefully make them better people, but ultimately will make them better footballers as well. The more rounded person that you are I do feel that gives you an added freedom when you go out on the pitch to really express yourself we talk about confidence all the time in football in life and a confident footballer suddenly again they can get more out of themselves they have a natural ability but the more you feel comfortable with yourself and what you're doing then really truly incredible things can happen now, I could take maybe a, a 30 yard throw in than a 15 yard throw in these Indeed. are the incredible things that players like myself Think could of that maybe personal development personal development again so a confident chinch would be able to make a, a lot longer throw in so again that changes changes games completely doesn 't it i can 't ping a ball into the top corner from forty yards but I can certainly throw the ball a little bit longer but it is ultimately all boils down to I feel feeling good about yourself doing good things away from the game enables you to do incredible things on the pitch as well and and things that you probably didn't appreciate you were capable of doing
2: so without wanting to um try and reduce this conversation just to how Andy Hinchcliffe at a certain period in his life realised that he could throw 30 yard throws <laughs> rather than just 15 yard throws. Um, one, of, one of the things that we mentioned very briefly last week in, uh, in starting the conversation was that we, we appreciate that footballers are human beings too and the vagaries of a human life would lead clearly to the vagaries of a footballer's life. Um but Steve, there are a couple of threads on on Twitter which which kind of invoke that. And it, it helps us to understand perhaps the positive side of things as well. Because if a human can develop, in the way Chinch has articulated so very beautifully there, then clearly they are just like footballers. Footballers and humans develop in the same way so we can understand that later in their Careers; they are more capable of delivering these things because they have learnt how to be a human
0: being. Yeah, one of those threads came from Peter Grant on Twitter who said he had to take a slight issue with last week's pod content about why footballers do stupid things. It's not just footballers who do stupid things. And if you count the number of players in the top two divisions in their teens or 20s, the proportion doing stupid things is probably less than in real life. E.g. 200-ish boys in my year at school, I know of at least 15 who either habitually drink-slash-drug-drove, got into fights, and in some cases were jailed. Pod mentions possibly four incidents in a year from the entire Premier League and Championship. That's just what happens. Money makes no difference except maybe the Range Rovers obviously love the pod by the way perhaps it depends on what sort of school you went to I suppose and how much time you spent in pubs with flat roofs. Well for my
1: experience <laughs> I totally understand what, where he's coming from there but ultimately it, it's not necessarily about the, the stories that make it into the press that means they're the only things that are happening I know from my experience of, of being around clubs and players that lots of things happen when the police aren't involved and car crashes don't happen so yeah I think it's hard to say well it's it's just four times this this has happened it will be happening a lot more and again players do behave but but just don't get caught basically and
0: and we we mentioned last week that you know clubs are obviously very good at dealing with situations from a pr point of view if they are able to do so so the ones that you know come out in the press that are, are those that are beyond even the reach of of clubs ability to control I sort of understand where Peter's coming from, and, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I do think we are entitled to have higher expectations of those in their teens or early 20s who are playing football for a living and earning huge amounts of money because, do you know what, they're getting an awful lot more help to stay on the straight and narrow than those that don't have that ability and that privilege. So, yes, we perhaps shouldn't be too hard on them, but it it is in the same way as today we're going to talk about uh, what we admire about what they are capable of doing, they do also have to accept that they, they are having higher standards thrust upon them and they do need to try and meet them because that is just what privilege in many ways is all about in that regard. And they can't have the one without the other. Footballers are very aware of the fact that they are footballers an awful lot of the time. So they can't stop being aware of that when they're about to do something a little bit silly. You can't be really conscious of your role in life as a footballer and the attention that brings and then switch that off the moment you think, for example, you're getting behind the the wheel of a car having had, not just one too many to drink, but several too many mm. to drink. Uh,
2: so to, to, to take last week's lessons and to apply them to today, Chinch, is the, the, the personal development that you spoke of, um, is that part of the expectations that we should have of footballers or that we perhaps expect too much of footballers to fall in line um, because of the nature of what they do and how yeah. mollycoddled they are? So the, the, the personal development of human beings is something that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Is, is it reflected? in a footballer's life, given the circumstances and the surroundings in which they play their training. Well, that
1: that development has to be accelerated. If if you're in a high-earning environment or you're in a high-profile environment, there are, as Steve uh, Steve said, there's a lot more focus on you. You do have a lot more responsibility because people hold you to a higher standard. That's just the the way of the world. That's the way football is now. So a a 20-year-old lad and a 20-year-old footballer, the footballer cannot be doing the things that a, a normal, in inverted commas, 20-year-old can do. Because of the job that they're doing, they have this great opportunity. This, The, the wealth is starting to roll in as well. And again, the high-profile nature of what they do. They have to be different. They have to live differently, think differently, behave differently. And that is a price that you pay for being a footballer. You have that talent. You have this great opportunity. And it is. It's a huge opportunity for, for youngsters. Again, it's do they appreciate it? And do they do they feel that they're, they're missing out on their youth if they, they knuckle down and uh, again do things that, that normal 20 year olds aren't doing but of course the benefits from being a footballer having the talent having the money the lifestyle what you can do for your family the amazing things you can do being a footballer it carries a lot of weight so that's why the individual has to be different and their development has to be accelerated. And yes, you are losing something, of course you are. But that's just that's just the nature of, of modern football. So g-
2: given that we've set up this context of it being a little bit harder for a footballer to develop in the same way because he is perhaps kept from, and perhaps rightly so as well, kept from some of those bad decisions that youngsters uh, make, is it more of a miracle then that they are capable of finding a way to perform in the most extraordinary set of sporting circumstances and as we said at the beginning regularly and so impressively as well well stepping onto
1: a pitch as a player is the most incredible release i'm not i I, I, i'm not saying i'm completely totally different from from 99 of footballers i maybe didn't see it in quite this way but hearing other people talk about they just wanted to be out on the pitch they didn't want to be in front of cameras they didn't want to be sitting in a classroom studying the game and, and doing tactics they just wanted to be out on the grass with a ball doing what naturally is is instinctive in them it was that release that's where they want to be and I totally absolutely totally agree with that because that's when they're at their best and they're, they're basically their, their talent can can come to the fore but clearly there's a lot more to the game than that. It isn't just being about on the pitch for, for, for two hours and, and being coached and, and knocking the ball around and doing what comes. There's so much more to it now. And that's why you have to give yourself up as a person, whether you're 18, 19, 20, that's when you have to give yourself up. And the players or the people that do that at that age, that's, of course, they're, they're kind of old before their time, but that's sadly what you have to do to, I feel, to be successful over 10 to 15 years, because you have to realise as soon as possible what this job is all about. And in many ways, you have to put your youth behind you and look forward, not saying like me you 've got to plan for a pension at sixteen, but again, you do have to appreciate if i 'm twenty and I want to play till i 'm thirty five there 's things you need to start today to give yourself that longevity within the game and yeah as I said you you do uh, miss out on an awful lot but again the benefits are incredible
2: Uh, Chinch just uh, seeing that you mentioned the pension at 16 yes uh, Matt Newman has got in touch to say dear 14 year old Chinch yes after being wowed by tales of your fiscal prudence at such a tender age in terms of thinking about pensions etc I wondered if you could offer up some pearls of financial wisdom to the ever growing pod audience how best do we balance the risk versus reward of political uncertainty and low interest rates where does the value in the markets lie how does one actually open a of beans with a foot that's from Matt Newman Uh,
1: what I did was spoke to a really talented uh, investment manager so I didn't really get too involved with the minutiae of of uh, the fiscal world I basically got a guy who can do that and said I'm a footballer I have some money I'm planning for my future what should I do with my money and over the years we've had many many conversations about the importance of high and low interest rates, because apparently they can be high, low, and somewhere in the middle. Um, so I've learned an awful lot. but again, yeah, you've got to have good people that you trust, and that i I've, I've known someone for a long, long time. but I learned I always ask the questions of why do we do this? This is what I'm thinking. I want to be conservative or you want to take a risk here or there? And they will basically say, "Well, what are you looking to achieve? And the same is true now. I'm amazingly. Hard to appreciate that when you look at me now. I'm 50. Uh, I'm planning for when I'm 75. And, and a bit. Uh, 50. Um, I'm planning for the kind of 25. So I'm doing this, the same process as applying now. I'm working the media. The money that you get, you try and again plan for the next 25. So I've never stopped doing it since I was kind of 16 years old.
2: Uh, Matt, it was a much duller answer than you were perhaps Sorry. expecting or Sorry. wanting. But nonetheless, it's very important. Good advice, though. Uh, good advice, indeed. Yeah. And, and, and actually, the, 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 the purpose of somebody like you with a great deal of intelligence passing over to somebody with even more intelligence the opportunity to decide your fiscal future. Yes. Um, generally speaking, there is a sense, isn't there, that footballers are not particularly intelligent. Now, is there a correlation to be drawn? There is, says Prim, who but has joined us for this section off, of the Prim. podcast. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. we're inside, aren't yeah. we, okay, Prim? Quite right. You go, over right. Over you over
1: go over and to do mommy. that. You go over to Mummy, tell her to put the, uh, the
2: vodka down and take your coat off. And t- talking <laughs> of which, the most intelligent... Uh, part of this uh, conversation we're very much provided by primrose um can i just say it was orange juice not vodka can i just clear that <laughs> yes, up it it is, is, i was well, getting some very dodgy looks one part vodka one part <laughs> orange juice um but there is we started it's, it's, talking it's, about it's cocktails. bloody mary o'clock <laughs> <a> really <laughs> isn't it but there th- th- is there a correlation to be drawn you were an intelligent footballer you are now no, no, no. an intelligent human um but there is a Perhaps a correlation to be drawn, but that release that you talked about and uh, the ability to perform Mm. in these uh, rarest of circumstances comes sometimes from the fact that a footballer, when on the football pitch, doesn't have to think about it. And that's the release. They are doing what comes naturally and it doesn't affect the rest of their life, which doesn't come naturally. You were uh, a slightly more erudite thinking man's footballer cerebral and, uh, cerebral yeah and you you had an issue perhaps because you thought so much and so intellectually about life so is there is there a correlation to be drawn that the the less intelligence you bring from your life into football the more of a release it is and therefore the clarity of thought that you are able to perform to your best well, I, spe-
1: I think we talked about this in the in the previous pod was again, youngsters going into the academy systems at clubs at, at, at really young ages of maybe six, seven, and eight, they're playing football from a very early age. They're, themselves and maybe their families are seeing that they're going to be footballers further down the line. So, again, are they really enjoying their education or do they see it basically, let's just get through the next few years, Let's then I can and join a football club and go on from there. So maybe because of the early start to their football lives, I'm not saying this is true across the board, I'm sure there's many young footballers there who are having great educations and great opportunities there. But I felt I was a little bit more, when I went into football, I clearly, with the group of lads that I, I through the youth system that I play with, probably didn't do the things that, that I did. That's not saying it's, it's right or it's wrong, it's just it was different.
2: And did they enjoy the being on they, the pitch more? Absolutely they did, yes, I
1: think, I, I think they did. Where I, I did not enjoy it, but I, I saw it for what it was. And when I went in as a professional, I very much realised that this is a job right from, from virtually from day one the pension side I clearly saw and not I, a
2: release from life
1: I, I, no I, I loved don't get me wrong I, I was very nervous a really really nervous player from maybe probably from 18 through till about 27, 28 for 10 years I was terrified of going out onto the pitch because I always felt I was going to be the one to make a mistake or I shouldn't be here I didn't have the ability to, to, to be here but then as, as you develop, things happen to you in life. You work with certain coaches that develop you physically and mentally. Then you take a huge leap forward. And then everything that you probably had when I was 17, 18, came to the fore in my late 20s. And that confidence in myself came through. And then suddenly, you, you play for England, you, you, you win things, and you feel a lot happier. And then you start to help people around you as well, the younger players around you. That's something I would never have been able to do without maybe having that, that base that I had from, from being a young kid. And from not being involved in football for maybe seven or eight, seriously from seven or eight years old, mine kind of started at 14. So my career kind of moved forward from then. I had a, you know, a great education up to kind of 14 and then went into schoolboy forms, apprentice forms and playing football. So my base was very different. And that certainly helped me later on in life when I realised that I had to use that to help me because that was me. I didn't want to pretend to be a football. I wanted to be myself confidently playing football. And that's what I felt I got for maybe the last five or six years but again if I could have maybe had that ideally I would have had that when I was 20 but then things happen you know I lost my mum when I was 19 there's a lot of the whirlwind of stuff goes on and it is very difficult because you're still maturing and developing and that that's the only problem is is when tragedies happen to, to young footballers as well that can be you know family problems it we can't maybe just say well they should just get on with it they they should accelerate their development there's a lot of stuff going on off the pitch as well which emotionally at that age is very hard to deal with as well and I went through that as well so maybe In an ideal world if everything was fine and perfect then that development can be taken forward very very quickly but sadly again footballers are human beings and and life crashes in and it does affect their development and their their football careers
0: and i suppose footballers have to learn and their ability to not just do amazing things but continually do amazing things throughout a long career is that ability to adapt and realize that talent alone isn't quite enough that you can make that impression, that impact as a 16 or 17-year-old, Wayne Rooney, for example, on his debut for Everton against Arsenal, or the way more recently, Marcus Rashford made an immediate impression having come through Manchester United's youth team on the first team, scoring a lot of goals very early on, but then has found the going a bit more difficult recently as things have not been going well for Manchester United. So things at least, you know, on the club side have not been going well for Marcus Rashford Mm -hmm. but it's that ability to adapt to be able to put aside the distractions and understand that there's more to being not just an elite footballer an elite athlete in any sport than having talent it's got to be about application it's got to be about that longevity of your career about being able to put aside those off-field distractions to be able to perform Mm -hmm. you were talking Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier Chinch about environment I mean it, it is often a complete mystery to a lot of supporters, how a player can be brilliant for one club or for his country and not be producing that sort of performance week in, week out. Paul Pogba is a good current example of that. And and one that always springs to mind when we are talking about that ability to transition from the talent to consistency is Ravel Morrison Mm. who was the star of a Manchester United youth team that also contained Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard yet look at the careers that they've gone on to have compared to him and Pogba and Lingard are two players that a lot of football fans would accuse of having too many off-field distractions, mm-hmm. but they have clearly, compared to Morrison, been able to get the balance right.
2: So there are, there are examples like Ravel Morrison, who, because of, um, and many will know the story of uh, the environment from which he came and failed to shake, and that was one of the problems that, that Sir Alex Ferguson and the Manchester United staff at the time Uh, came up against and and the difficulty eventually in that perhaps becoming too much of an influence on his ability to to grow and become a better person and a player Mm -hmm. but Chinch, you played with the likes of Paul Gascoigne who we all know uh, came from not only that background in in terms of where he came grew up in Newcastle but also his lifestyle off the field and yet on the field he could clearly deliver everybody Mm -hmm. knows the stories of, of George Best and there would have been many more than him at that time uh, in the late 60s and, and 70s that did not lead a life, as Steve said, of the elite athlete, but yeah. were able to clearly deliver on the field. Now, I appreciate that it's, it's going to be harder in this day and age. And we talked about trying to take players out of one mm. generation into a different one. And it's a kind of a thankless task. But there are those who somehow, despite their Unathletic behavior, their massive distractions, and they might be two different players. They are capable on the field to be mercurial, mm-hmm. talented, but also deliver. Yes. Um, in those, as we said last week, those incredibly intense environments. How do they do it? So it, it
1: shows that they clearly have the mental capacity on the pitch if they're able to step up and, and accept more responsibility and do the things that they did, they, they've clearly got... But again, as we said, they're more comfortable in that environment. How, how can we find or get those people to be more comfortable with themselves away from the game as well? Because then you might get even more out of these players well. He talks about Paul Gascoigne, absolutely incredible. But football was such a release. He needed He needed football. Football, I, I feel, has kept him alive all these years. Without football, I'm not sure Paul Gascoigne would be around. He had something to focus on that he was incredibly good at. But again, you could then say to him, today this part of your day is going to be out on the training pitch or or in the gym or whatever it is and we can keep you on the straight and narrow the problem is when he had time on his hands that's when things started to go a little bit awry because of all the the, maybe the personal issues that he had as well but again so how do we if you're going to spend more time off the pitch than on it we have to surely we have to work harder on these on these people to improve mainly how they feel about themselves because a lot of them are they go out on the pitch and they look like giants but they come off the pitch, you must have interviewed them, Steve, Hugh, and thought, this isn't a reflection of the, of the person or the character I see out on the pitch. They're very different away from the pitch. They struggle to, to look very in the shy. eye. Very shy. That's, that's the because the you're taking them out of that comfort zone. So what we're trying to do, I, I feel needs to be done, is can we work to develop the people? Because they are going to spend a hell of a lot of time off the pitch. And again, the responsibilities that, that, that come with being a footballer off the pitch, you're still a footballer, you're just not out there playing or training. So again, that's why I talk so much about working, because the, the hours that you have spare and you could use really valuably and, and not... We've all done it. I've done it. I've done you know, wasted time doing stupid things and just thinking, well, that's what a footballer does on his with his days off or whatever. And ultimately, I knew in time that I would stop doing that, but I didn't have the confidence because I wanted to be seen like everybody else. And that maybe is the, the biggest problem is when you step into the dressing room after you've trained or played is how much do you want to feel part of this group? And if you want to feel part of the group, you do what they do, what the senior players do. And I've talked about their influence before as well. But if you're strong personally and you think well I'm not one for going out drinking eight or nine pints after a game that that's you've got to be strong but again that comes from an inner confidence to say I'm still a team player but this is not good for me and the 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 rest of the squad have to understand that that's why you're doing it it's nothing personal against them they can conduct themselves in the way that they want to do and it is that confidence that I got in my late 20s to say no I'm I am happy with with what I am, I can keep developing, I wish it had happened sooner but this is where I'm up to now. And then strangely you do, not strangely probably, you do see the younger players start to gravitate towards you because if they see a senior player or an England international going out doing extra training and it looks, it is very boring rather than going down to the snooker club or going to a bar somewhere and having lunch, I'm going to go back out and do some free kicks and practice technique and stuff. And you started to see that the youngsters, certain youngsters would want to go and do that. Others would want to drift off and do the other thing as well. So very quickly, you could probably see which path, which players, younger players, were probably going to be successful because they understood that being, it's being professional, on and off the field, being professional, and maybe doing the things that, that, that weren't done five, 10 years ago or the rest of the squad aren't doing. And you could see it. And I could probably guess, if uh, having, having been around younger players, certainly at Sheffield Wednesday when I was in my 30s, that there's four or five young players there. And I could have said, well, I know that three, those three, Will go off and, and do well because they have got the the mental and physical abilities to 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 be a professional footballer. The other ones, I think, this is all very easy and they love going out onto the pitch, but they're not willing to do or go the extra mile that you need to have a long successful career in the game. And that again, if you develop that confidence and that and that sense of yourself, you can. I, I did things on the pitch that I never thought I, I I had the ability to do, and it came from yes, coaching. the the confidence that coaching staff give you but also it came from me believing that I could do it and it sounds very I don't know it might sound a bit kind of yeah it's easy to say that and you are just saying that but it wasn't it was generally belief in myself has been the biggest the biggest thing I've tried to develop over the years is belief in what I am and what I'm happy doing and what I'm capable of doing that's why going into the media at the age that I am I'm, I'm trying to develop things that I would never have done that if you'd have said to a 20-year-old, Chinch, are you going to be able to do this when you're 50 and tell people how you think the business should be? I'd have said, absolutely no chance. But again, it's that confidence that I built through playing and through developing after I retired as well and going into a new world and throwing myself into it and learning all the time.
0: Without wanting to sound like I have too much admiration for you because really it's, it's minimal. At is best.
1: it? Yeah, that's good. But, but it's, there, it's there. isn't it? it? Is it's there. there. It yeah. sort of
0: lingers in the background Yeah, like a waft.
1: Like a decomposing corpse. <laughs> that kind of smell.
0: You've taken it to an extremity that I wasn't perhaps willing to go with, but yeah, if, if you yeah, want, okay. there you go. If okay. that's the image you want to, uh, if you, you want to paint, <laughs> but one assumes that that outlook cannot be taught. By the time that a player might be aware that they might be mature enough mm. to have to be able to be educated about that sort of thing it's too late so is that something that we do have to say is remarkable about remarkable about these players that manage to turn their talent into a successful career that they are able to understand at an early enough point on their own that they are going to have to focus and do the right thing more often than not so in, in terms of, you know, how the footballers do remarkable things, is that one of the most remarkable that they are capable of? To understand uh, a point in which it's going to make a difference, that the distractions can only take up so much of your time, mm. that the football has to be all-encompassing if you are going to to make of your career, you know, what, what you, the potential you have that you are going to manage to to translate translate that into a career because even if the players that you've talked about like Gascoigne or Diego Maradona the, the documentary that we saw the Asif Kapadi when we spoke to, to him about it the director is that they were able to do remarkable things despite what was happening to them off the field imagine if they'd been able to lock that stuff away how they may have may have even been even more brilliant
1: yeah who I, knows the, the greatest example I, I would say is is Ryan Giggs Ryan Giggs as a youngster incredible talent achieved incredible things throughout his career he was definitely helped at United the way that they dealt with their young players. They, the they had class a group of, 92, of exactly, even though it wasn't specifically. But then I again, when that. you know, when he was then not cast out on his own, but when he was maybe given more license to to, to, to do what he wanted to do, given more freedom. Look at what he actually did, and, and the, the, the lengths that he went to to prolong his career and and develop to to then move into management. He could easily, with the talent that he had and what he'd achieved and the incredible things that he'd done, he could have gone completely off the rails. But again, yeah, I do agree with what Steve's saying. If, if Maradona or Gascoigne had done maybe what Ryan Giggs had done, would they have been even better or would it have, would it have compromised them on the pitch? It's hard to tell because it's all hypothetical. But I think Ryan Giggs is the great example of a, an extraordinary talent that that very, very few players have. But then he had whether he was helped, to maybe certainly on that road in his in his early years to think about his responsibilities as a player, and he's within a group of young players who are all very driven as well. So again, your environment is hugely important. If he was on his own, a superstar on his own at a team, would it have been quite the same if he hadn't been handled in that way? So he was helped to kind of channel down that road, but then when the opportunity was his, to me, he seemed as though he did everything possible to again extend his career and still be as brilliant as he is for as long as he possibly could and no surprise again he's gone into management so again he's, he's not said well I can't live up to the player that I was so I might as well call it a day he wanted to become something different but again he's probably following the same pattern that he did as a player and in, in terms of his coaching and his management he probably is working incredibly hard to get the very best out of himself again so he is a, a great example of, of development within, within a great Kind of unique talent.
2: Yeah, so Ryan Giggs. There were some wild moments in in Ryan Giggs's mm-hmm. um, early days, but if you look at the the player who was kind and of, some
0: f- uh, some a bit so, more recently, yeah, some a bit more
2: recent, mm. um, which is well documented. But he you know he, he had his youth in the way that you would expect a young footballer who had made the team, you know, and suddenly found a lot of money in his life. You know, he did yeah, yeah. he did have but, but he realised early enough. Uh, not least because I would imagine Sir Alex Ferguson told him <laughs> in no terms that mm-hmm. he needed to realise early enough that if he was to, f- to develop his skills along with the you know, incredible talent that he had and to practice hard and to dedicate his life to football, look at what could happen. And indeed it did. But Lee Sharp was around just slightly before that and it was only a couple of years, I think only a couple of years older than, than Ryan Giggs. He didn't take that advice. Yes. Uh, yes. Certainly that's what Sir Alex Ferguson would tell you. And he was not long for Manchester United, but al- almost equally as talented yeah. as Ryan Giggs. So there are, there are examples of where a player comes to a crossroads, certainly if you take those examples within the same structure, so it's nice to see the divergent paths. But you can, you can sense that there was an opportunity for them to grapple yeah. with that moment, think, right, I'm going to have to grow up. I'm going to have to do it now. And if you choose not to and perhaps remain that player who can do everything off the field and then as soon as you come on the field, you can, that intensity kind of dribbles away and mm-hmm. you can have this clarity and all those moments. But there, there seems to be an important moment, particularly if you are a player who has a lot of natural talent but feels like you could spend time to develop it and get bat- better, that there will be benefits along the road. Yeah, I,
1: I suppose when you are... Clearly, more talented than the players around you, you can get a bit complacent as if to say, Well, you maybe need to go off and develop and, and become because you're not as good as I'm. I can naturally go out and do incredible things, and that kind of the, the base level that I have is, is above clearly above you. So maybe it's and something it makes for you other people. work less. It, work yeah. less to say, Well, actually, I, I don't have to do the things that you do because I'm. You know, I'm the player that, that can win games. and But again, I look at Paolo Di Canio, the, the amount of work that he put, he was, he was our match winner. But again, the amount of work he put in, physically and mentally, in developing himself was extraordinary. So yeah, it does come to a and absolutely come to a crossroads, where the club are working and working and working, I'm sure they are with these young players, to try and say, this is what you need to do, you'll fall off the path, you'll get back on it. But ultimately, there will come a point when it is down to you. We can only do so much. We can't, we can't follow you for 24 hours a day. It is ultimately down to you, and that's when it really does need to kick in. It, it is, it does, and it is boring. It sounds boring. You can't do the things that other people, or maybe you feel because of the money, the, the the prestige of the job. I can do this, and if I make a mistake, I can get away. I can pay my way out of it, or it'll all be sorted out. The clubs will help me do that. But again, that's not the way to think. That's not being a professional on and off the field. So there does come, I don't know what age that it maybe comes. For certain really talented players, that realization maybe comes early 20s. For a lot of other players, it, when you're 25, 26, and you start to think, you know what, I might only play till I'm 32, 30. can I get to 34, 35? Which is more than possible these days because of the science and the training. At what point does that kind of kick in personally where you say, this, this, this is down to what I want to do now. People have, have been trying to tell me the right path to follow. Are you actually taking it on board or are you just following instructions until the point comes when they stop saying do this and then you can basically do what you want. And when you can do what you want, that's when I feel it's vitally important for for certain players. Some people might be naturally like that, but a lot of maybe footballers, because of having four or five years of a really good life and people saying how great they are and the money's rolling in, you do get a false idea of what you maybe are and what you're all about. And that's when you really have to realise the person that you are, the environment you're living in. Do you have a family? Do you have responsibilities there at home? There's there's a lot goes into it, but there there always will come a crossroads where it will be, the onus will be passed on to the the player, the person themselves to to, to deal with the future.
0: So having talked about environment and attitude and application and taking good advice Mm -hmm. or perhaps appreciating for yourself what the right path to tread is, do we also then have to contemplate how players adapt to a match situation as to their brilliance and the, the remarkable things that they're able to do? That even with all that, that they're in, then able to deal with the, the tactics of an opponent mm-hmm. or the sense of the occasion. You know, you think of players who seem to, to have that ability to score great goals in in big games. They might not do it week in, week out, but they seem to be able to rise to the occasion. Or as we saw with England's players in Bulgaria uh, very recently, that they were able to produce a phenomenal performance on the pitch whilst also dealing with this most horrific and awful distraction off it. And that was exemplified by the fact that after both of the stoppages for the UEFA protocols of the, the racism that was going on in the stadium in Sofia, that England scored almost immediately after each stoppage, that they were able to refocus on the task in hand when perhaps lesser mortals mm-hmm. would have been so overcome by what was was happening that actually their performance would have diminished.
1: That It was, it yeah. was incredibly impressive. And I, I, I do think you look at the, the football that they played, absolutely right. But then, then how mentally... They, they shouldn't have to cope with it clearly, but it was happening. The game was going to be finished. so what do you want to do? And I, I thought it was incredible the way, individually, collectively, they stuck together and, and did what needed to be done. It, it was It was absolutely. Again, that shows you about the development of, of, the, of the, the person, the environment that they're in, that everyone's if we're, if we're not happy with this and we we're going to leave the pitch, we all leave the pitch. So again, there's a togetherness, but it's the individual able to, to say, "Give me the ball." I'm going to show you what I can do. I'm not going to be beaten down, but that takes incredible mental strength. And again, sadly, with with the rise of racism within the game, the onus is, is now on players to stand up, not take it. Of course, this is absolutely, it shouldn't be happening, but the ability to overcome it reason and say why this shouldn't be happening but you're not going to stop us doing what we're incredible and that takes a, a, a huge amount of mental strength whether you're on the pitch or off it that takes incredible mental strength and those england players were extraordinary in Sophia. it's
2: it and it's very sad that it takes something like that for us to see the personal development in somebody like Raheem yes, sterling yes. and to feel ha- incredibly impressed by it but it's, it's a shame but it that it took that and yeah, with, with, with obviously the,
1: the rise and him becoming really a spokesman. Phrase, for, yeah, yeah, absolutely. For he actually has had to, had to develop because he's been put, put front and centre. Whether he chose to do that or whether he was seen as... of the greatest black players we have in this country so he's naturally the person we want to hear from and again you've seen is he 23 24 Raheem Sterling so again that sadly has been really good for his personal development clearly shouldn't have taken that but then he's starting to realize maybe the the greater responsibility a a key time in the English game he's had to step forward and speak rationally and emotionally about what it feels and, and how we should deal with this and how the black players are going to go on this is this is going to be stopped and this is how we do it so sadly again that personal development has been forced upon maybe Raheem Sterling but incredible to see the the person that he is now compared to maybe two or three years ago when he first joined Man City and sadly it's taken something so negative to bring out that that, that development in him
0: Yeah and obviously he's had to deal with ridiculous coverage in the press as well at, at an early stage of his career which shows unbelievable mental strength to overcome that and continue to produce week in week out on the pitch and in fact get better And that also is probably a reflection of the environment he's in and the support he's had at Manchester City, by the way. Because, you know, we've talked about on this podcast before that very often, you know, the right manager, the right club, the right players, all the components have got to be there in in order for a team to excel. Yeah, that Sophia, the ability of, you know, Tyrone Mings Mm -hmm. to glance over his shoulder, stare down those who are racially abusing him take the time to make sure the official has noticed it as well mm-hmm. and then immediately switch his attention back yeah. on to being able to defend and keep a clean sheet or that Raheem Sterling's able to score a goal in amongst everything that's, that's going on and that England's players can keep producing. I mean, it, it, it is extraordinary. That is the kind of stuff that mere mortals can cannot comprehend. That's the kind of, you know, the mirror is bumping. Someone cuts you up on the motorway. You're still angry about it two, out, yeah, two, yeah. two, two miles later. Yeah, well, I would be. You're yeah, still yeah. angry about it two miles later. They're able to just switch on. And what, it, it makes me laugh actually, the, the, the way that, you know, Hugh and I have, at a certain stage in our career, spent an awful lot of time sat around in training grounds, waiting to interview footballers, and there's a very, very defined period of time in which you're allowed to speak to a footballer. You know, it's got to really be by lunchtime the day before a game. You know, you can't distract them after that. And, and a friend of mine is um, is elsewhere in Europe this week, speaking to a player about facing his former club, and he wanted to do it the day before the game. And the club had been very helpful. I should add, he wanted to do it the game, but the day before the game, and the club have said no, can we do it two days before? We, we want to make sure he's calm in the 24 <laughs> hours leading up to the match. So he's got to fly out to this European city a day earlier than he would like to, cap to, to conduct this interview. And you're like, hang on, he needs 24 hours to calm himself before a game when we've actually seen very recently a demonstration of a footballer's ability yeah. to be able to switch on and off from the situation almost immediately. Yeah. And,
2: and the, the, the situation that you mentioned is... Is within this context, as, as, as you said, Steve, it's, it's beyond instinct. This isn't this isn't the Paul Gascoigne I can, you know, drink and behave badly and retain all those parts of my non-footballing life that wouldn't normally mm-hmm. juxtapose well uh, with a footballing career. That that's all about instinct. That's about yep. facing the release that you said, Andy, about mm-hmm. you go on the football pitch and everything else drifts away, and you just behave instinctively. Mm-hmm. These are these are decisions that are being made, almost being dragged out of the environment in which you are instinctive. So that that's that's the point that that, that Stephen was making that you, you you find yourself able to do these remarkable things mm-hmm. when you would normally be doing these remarkable things just on instinct because you're naturally talented, and yet they still do that in this kind of environment. Mm. That that that's extraordinary, isn't it? I,
1: I suppose that yeah. If you're You know, Ming's walking down the street being racially abused. Would would you? Hopefully, you would react in the same way. But that's why when you put that professional head on, and it is match day or it's it's it's, you're playing, then again that focus has to be. It's hard enough to focus. You know what the opposition are doing tactically. They might be. It's hard enough for a player to appreciate what the opposition are doing. Let alone what's coming off the stands directed at you as well. But again, this is why it is so awful to say. But actually, all these things happening, and maybe forcing players in many ways to to accept that there is much more than just going out and kicking the ball around i know there is tactically now anyway players are, are schooled a lot more than they ever were so they do understand the game a lot more but all these horrendous outside influences where they're being asked for their opinions or they're being put under pressure to see whether see, see what they do see how they behave and they again it's absolutely impeccable the way but again where does that come from how are they able to do that is it just Tyro Mings, is it just Raheem Sterling, or is it something that all players, and it, it won't just be black players, sadly there's a, a million different reasons that the fans can abuse players. And it's about actually, you shouldn't have to cope with it, but how can you cope with it? How do you cope with it to enable you? To, to produce on the pitch, which is ultimately what you want to do because it's an entertainment business as well. So again, it is about that that mental, incredible mental strength and players are maybe having to accelerate that because of what's happening within the game at the moment. They're having to take on
2: board a lot more. Final point. Is there a, a, an example um, of when personal development, so somebody gaining through personal experience, through an increase in intelligence, uh, high levels of self-awareness where that actually has a detrimental effect on their ability to play because their mind does get clouded and they are less instinctive on the field if they are one of these people who is able to have that melt away and to behave incredibly well on a football field because that is their natural habitat Mm. because if you just think of for example wayne rooney who who came through as that archetypal instinctive footballer high on enthusiasm we Steve and I used to watch training sessions at Manchester United where he would just basically for 10 minutes after everybody else had stopped just keep leathering the ball like you would do if you were, you know, 12 and at the local park and you're just having fun. You're just seeing how hard and far you could kick it. He would genuinely do that into his late 20s because that was his levels of enthusiasm. But Mm -hmm. then when... There will there will be a point in his life where i imagine he realized who he was how important he was he became england captain yep. the the pressures on his shoulders and um, the fact that he perhaps couldn't behave like he was off the field without having a dec- detrimental effect on him athletically as his yes. career uh, progressed and he wasn't the same player and whether it's just because that's the the passing of the years and yeah. age catching up that that might be a case but we've just been talking about ryan giggs who was able to reverse that trend mm. so it's not necessarily one that has to be followed by all players. So is there an example of, of, of a player having personal development, which is good for their human levels of understanding, and you know, he's had kids, and he's become a better person, he's become less shy, he's been able to yeah. articulate himself better, but his, his level of play
1: mm.
2: almost ran counter to that because he well, needed to be that kid who was instinctive and that would be the way that he would best perform.
1: I'd like to, well, the, the listeners could probably give us a few examples. Off, off the top of my head, it's hard to pick. I, I can't see how any of, of that self-awareness... The
0: reverse of you, basically. Yeah, basically, chinch. The, reverse the reverse of, of you. Anti-Chinch. <laughs> but I, 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 I can't see how it would... Many of our listeners are anti-Chinch. <laughs> oh, they are.
1: Most of them are. But I, I can't see how any... Because all, all that, to, that personal development,
2: can, can that be detrimental to a player it's something I've never even cause, cause clouds normally, the mind it, 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 the, the mind your, your mind was clouded because mm. you were an intelligent aware clouded, young you man yes, yes. so that, that affected your ability or your enjoyment of football mm. whereas a lot of people we've been talking about didn't have any of that and therefore they were able to enjoy football because their mind was clearer whether it was because they were able to switch off or because they didn't have the capacity for having any of those worries but you reverse that as you got older the awareness helped you because yes. you were able to understand yourself yeah. and perform better and not be so nervous but there are those who that came into their lives as they got older and they perhaps had it to mm. cloud their latter part of their career instead of instead of your early part yeah.
0: those with with better recall than us I'm sure will come up with with plenty of names but I wonder whether the clubs now especially those with the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jürgen Klopp your friend yeah. Jürgen Klopp Cinch, in charge yeah. are are really good at picking up quickly those players who aren't going to be able to cope with the the tactical requirements that those coaches are placing upon them and they will fall by the wayside quite quickly so it may not become all that apparent to the casual observer that they've been unable they're on the field unable to cope with the weight of information that has been placed upon them because they probably don't get to the stage where they're on the field in the first <laughs> yeah. place. Because Raheem Sterling, again, to, do you mean he's, he's a great example for so many of the, the elements of this discussion, clearly has been able to take on board everything that he has learned under Pep Guardiola and has become a better player as a consequence. And I think I'll be fascinated down the line mm. when he's playing for a different coach, whether he's a different player as a result. It's, could you see Paul,
1: Pep Guardiola signing, Manchester City signing exactly. Paul Gascoigne? Because they, they couldn't trust him. They know the talent that he has, but they couldn't trust him on or off the pitch. And football clubs now are being a lot more selective in the people that they take on, whether it be signings that they make in their 20s or young kids that they take on and develop through the academy. Um, they That's why it wouldn't really work because, they, again, the structure of football now as well. Coaches need to know they can rely on these players and their personalities and their characters. Are that, clubs are definitely looking into the back yeah. players' yeah. backgrounds now. It's all not all just them. how many goals they scored, how many assists, how many tackles they made. It's what kind of life and have they lived Ed, Ed and what Ed kind Woodward, of person are they going to be for us.
2: Didn't he? Um, just last week, Edward, Woodward, yes, the exactly. executive exactly. vice chairman of Manchester United, on a, a call with the fans or whatever, or yeah. the, the staff. No, an all-staff yeah, call. Yeah. Um, mm. Because he doesn't do anything in the media. Obviously, he just um, does shareholder... Uh, Conference calls and all staff calls at Manchester United. He admitted that they hadn't done that enough, and they were starting to do that now. When they signed people like Alexis Sanchez, they failed to do the due diligence on their ability to fit in. It's like, why uh, why did Man City not
1: sign Paul Pogba, Alexis Sanchez, but maybe United did? Because do you get slightly kind of
2: that is? You look at their football, look what they've done on the pitch. Twenty-five percent. It it does. does. So
1: why why are they doing that? So why are they doing that? And it is again that they are assets. They're paying an awful lot of money, but they want to squeeze the maximum out of these. Players that they can, so that's why they're taking on probably people that are further down the line and will do what they need them to do as players.
0: Well, what came out of that same conversation regarding Edward Ed Wood and Manchester United was that they looked at about. They started with about eight hundred right backs that they were considering before they signed. Oh, there are there eight hundred right backs back. in the world? I know, <laughs> absolutely. It, Maybe that there does. are. Maybe that, that's it. There are eight hundred. Yeah, wow. they started with all of them. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. That include me. I played right back. Google. I played right back when I was uh, in the under 12s. Google, tell me all right backs. I think Hugh Ferris was very quickly, there was a red line went through that very early on in not, the process. Not because of talent, though. I just don't fit into the culture.
0: <laughs> they filtered that down, though, to five before opting to go for yeah, yeah. Aaron Wambasaka, even though an awful lot of people had been saying for quite a while. Aaron Wambasaka would work for Manchester yes, United. I mean, good, I don't yeah. really think you needed to crunch the numbers on that, but there you go. But uh, that, sh- that shows you the thought process that goes clubs go through before signing yes, a player, they, or at least that they should lot, go through. A yeah. lot of time. I,
2: thinking I suppose about another their great
1: example of of kind of a personality and a wonderful player is, is in the modern game is David Silva. You look at again, is he a product of his environment? Is he a product of the person that he has always been? Because I, there was a, a preseason tour that we. We covered, and, and he was out there with a lot of the young Man City players. World Cup winner David's done everything, amazing for the for the Premier League. And there he was, you know, patting the young player, talking to the young players, and what that must do for the young players is extraordinary. But what does that say about the person that David Silver is? He he isn't this. Well, I've won everything. I can treat people as but he wants to help, and I know he's leaving the Premier League at the end of the season, which is a, a huge a huge shame. But you still can see the kind of person that. He's developed into, or maybe has been along the way. You never hear stories about David Silver. There's no daft stories have come out about David Silver. But, and again, his professionalism, his, his, he's given everything up to his art, which basically is, is how he played the game. But again, then, at, right at the end of his City career, he realises his bigger responsibility is to pass on and encourage. The next generation, the young, which again speaks volumes for his personality. And
2: uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the fact that t- while well, they're human and and perhaps debunking that slightly when it comes to this uh, as being a, an exception to that rule. But David Silver has gone through some very very he human has. experiences in the yeah. last couple of years with the premature birth of his son Mateo, and and, and for him to be able to. Uh, he missed some games, but be able to carry on being a footballer and perhaps learn from that personal development experience. Oh my goodness me! I, PDA, I also don't, that. Don't yeah. people have I, PDEs at work every I was, six
1: months? I'm not saying that I'm the same player as David Silver, but obviously, when my eldest son <laughs> Sam was born, had heart. again, football—it just—it's—it's it's, again. I, I, did I think any differently? Maybe David Silver. Again, football is has to be irrelevant when there's issues like that going on when your kids are not well. But then, when things when you come out the other side, that again puts things into perspective for you, and you ultimately feel this yes is just a game but you then can fully concentrate once again because the family side of things have been sorted out and you you blossom even further you enjoy it even more after you've gone through the dark times at home.
0: All right, Chinch, go on then. You were a remarkable footballer. Go There's on, no we'll throw you into the mix. I'm
2: a decomposing corpse <laughs> in your eyes. You don't need to lie to me. <laughs> it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is an Andy Hitchcliffe tells us to Tale from his days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed.
1: Do, I, do do? you feel I tend to... Yeah, exactly. I haven't said what I'm <laughs> going to say yet. Do you feel... I know the answer's going to be yes. That I sometimes over... Exaggerate how important I am. I am in the media
2: world. Did you feel I sometimes play play up a little bit? Uh, Yes, I'm assuming for humorous effect. But now I'm starting to think, with the way that this is going, that actually you're going to now say that you are. I
1: I was I was brought down a peg or three, at and it happened at Ewood Park. Of all the places to have this epiphany. Was it it raining? uh, It wasn't actually. No. Is that the first time? There was this big orange globe in the sky, which I don't think you see a lot in Lancashire. It was surprisingly warm, but anyway, Ewood Park, so we've we've just done... Primrose is off to bed. She's got a bottle of milk. Um, no, it's not a white Russian. Oh, don't say that. Um, so anyway, we've, 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 covered, uh, we've covered the game. I've done an extraordinary job on code commentary uh, The game against Huddersfield, is. Blackburn 2, Huddersfield 2. This, this is quite recently. So we, we, you come out of Ewood Park, and the, there's like a player's car park, which is kind of separated by a road. So you've got to walk kind of 100 yards for the players to get to their cars. And for obviously all the trucks, the Sky Trucks, are all in the same kind of compound as well. So myself and John Oakes, who's the Pitchside Reporter, we know each other very well. Very well.
0: I should hope so. so you work together, Chinch. That's yeah, we how it... do.
1: But sometimes, as with the pod, you have colleagues and you have friends. <laughs> so anyway, John is a friend of mine. So we, we, we're again discussing, discussing as we're walking, we're walking pit side, and then we, we, we go out and there's like kind of a cluster of, of Blackburn fans and they're wanting signatures from the players and stuff as well. So John and I kind of make our way through there. And then there's, there's a couple of guys, or young lads really, in the compound. And as John and I walk into the compound... One of them says, oh my God, this is the moment I've been waiting for. So I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. And this, this young lad, he starts to go on about, he's doing a, a course at college, and he watches all the games that we cover, and he's picking up all these tips and how incredibly well we do the job and how much he's learned from, from watching our coverage. And his mate is going, oh, my God, can we, can we take some pictures here? This is quite extraordinary. This is, this is the best moment. He's, like, he's meeting one of his great heroes here. And then his mate says to me, Andy, can you hold the camera while he has a picture with John Oakes? So... At least he knew your name. <laughs> but that big, but that can't be him, can it? If you're saying, I'm going to college, amazing, wonderful things, I watch every qu- everything that you do. Yep, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. Can you hold the camera and take a picture of me and John Oaks? What is going on there? But again, imagine, imagine right. how tall I felt.
0: Uh, is there any indication that these might oh. have? Did, did John know this? Was this a big setup? No,
1: I thought it was like the Alan Partridge thing, where you paid someone twenty quid to say come over <laughs> and say all these things. But it was like it was like a comedy setup where you, all the things that they're saying they're bouncing off each it's other. This is I'm see, out. And I'm just thinking, Oh yeah. Oh, I was I was getting a bit full of. My, I was I grew and then I was two inches tall. It was, I, did, I did do the, but I did what was necessary. I, I was shaking with anger, but I did hold the phone and took a picture. But this guy was absolutely salivating <laughs> and, and over John Oaks and not, uh, not me. I don't think he even knew who I was, which was even more worrying. His mate did,
2: this other guy didn't. It's all wrong. <laughs> Don't forget to buy your ticket for Set Piece Menu Live. Our 100th episode is taking place on the 13th of November as part of the Manchester Podcast Festival. Head to their website to get your ticket. If you purchase a ticket and you are able to come, you'll note that there will be a soccer story with adult behaviour and libel-worthy details included Included.
0: maybe Chinch could just retell that one with all the swear words (laughs) reinserted
2: in a monologue that was taking place at the time Uh, in the meantime please continue to uh, send in any soccer stories that you may have to setbeacemenu at gmail.com also remember if you have a Reacher novel find it open it Take a photo of a page, send it to us. It's really all it takes uh, for us to generate content on Setpiece Menu. Uh, please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, to Stephen and to John Oakes uh, because he's <laughs> way more important than any of us. And to you for listening. We'll be back with another SPM for you to enjoy very soon indeed.
0: That has brightened my day, actually, Chinch. You I mean, your story's always put a spring in my step, but that one that's really. But they are, the, really it's
1: lot. so simple, but, and the build up, the build up, the build up. It's got to be me, it's me, it has to be me. It's, it's like on the X Factor when you know who the winner's, and then it's the other person. And it's like, oh, so let me get this right. But then to get me to take a photograph, that's, how, how old, that's how old you say demeaning.
0: How old were these, were these guys, would you say? <laughs>
1: early 20s well they don't remember That's you why. playing then do they it's not about the playing it's about they've been watching the coverage so if they've been watching the coverage and listening to all these great things that are coming well, out naturally that has to be me don't what, give them no pens. one no one listens to <laughs> the Pittside reporters do they who watches that I don't I do watch that and it's really <laughs> informative and, and entertaining but it just
2: Oh, I I I just want to surmise those of you who have listened to 150 uh, episodes. Um, Andy Hinchcliffe has been, during his playing days, confused with Peter Beardsley. During his punditry days, (laughs) confused with David Unsworth. And now most recently, has not even been recognised at all, bar being a minder for a celebrity touchline reporter. (laughs) Chinch, do you think you should spend more time on television? Because clearly it's not enough hours.
1: But people seem, every time, I imagine it's people I know that say, oh, I've seen you a lot on TV. I bet they haven't. I bet they're just saying that to make me feel good. They, they haven't seen me. So then I get all puffed up like a, a robin in the winter. And <laughs> and then that is why these things happen to me. Because I suddenly, I, I go, you know, swanning around thinking I'm the bee's knees. And then maybe this is what, these things happen. Maybe it's, I need these things to happen to keep me... Keep me level-headed.
0: The gantry is not the place for you if you want the celebrity lifestyle. That's true. Commentators, co-commentators, heard but not seen. We embrace the anonymity.
1: Do- I didn't embrace the anonymity, me. I didn't at all. It was horrible. I want to be more well-known.